0: So when you have a, a party or, or birthday, what do you do? You, you party, right? You celebrate, right? What, when you have an anniversary, what do you do? Hopefully, if the husband remembers, you take them out and you have a celebration. You, you, you celebrate things. Are there any times in a church when we should celebrate? Do we have a, a time where at church that we should celebrate things? Are there times that we should have a party? Have, you know, I've, I've been involved in church for a lot of years, and I've been to a lot of different churches, and I rarely see really a, a party going on at church. I've, I've noticed that. As I was preparing the sermon, I was thinking about that, reflecting on that, thinking, you know what, I, I rarely actually see a celebration, a really a, a party going down at church. We shouldn't spend all our time in celebration, but there are times when we should celebrate. We should, we should, we should get our party on. We should, we should celebrate things. We should be excited about things. So in, we're, we're coming on to, uh, we're in chapter 12 of Nehemiah, and we're at the last message. I know we skipped a couple chapters here and there, uh, but uh, we're at the last message of the series of Nehemiah and, and our series of restoration. And we've gone through a lot of different things. Uh, we talked about a lot of different aspects of Nehemiah and a lot of different things they faced. And now we're at the end. We're at the end of the book, or near the end of the book. And we're going to look at the second half of chapter 12. And we're going to see that there's a celebration. And and so you know this this remnant, you know, this these group of people that are that are in Jerusalem. What are they celebrating? What, what is it that they're celebrating? Why, we're at the end of this book, and they're, they're throwing on a party. And what is it that they're celebrating? They're celebrating a great accomplishment. They're gr- celebrating a, a legitimate great accomplishment that was going on, and something that's happened. And they see that, and, and, it's, and, they're, and they've accomplished this goal. They've, they've done the work, and they're getting ready to throw down a massive party. We know what, it, what you know, that it's good to celebrate. I think most of us understand it's good to celebrate. I heard that there was a. I didn't watch the game, but I hear there's a Tennessee game that went on. That was pretty interesting. Is that right? Or, or is, was is that what you were talking about earlier, Wes? Yeah, I, I saw some Facebook po- posts about something, and I hear you know all these great you know people are celebrating this game. You know there there are things that we celebrate that are good. I mean we we like come on we're we're Americans we like to, we like to celebrate. We have a, a celebration for just about every holiday, you can imagine. There's some kind of celebration going on. And we know that it's good. You know, it, when, we aco- when we celebrate because we accomplished a goal or something in our lives, we, we bought our first house or we graduate from college or we have a, our first child or, or third child or fifth child, or whatever, you know, you, you celebrate, you get excited. We know it feels good to celebrate. We, we enjoy a good celebration it, it excites us, and it gives us energy, and, uh, you know, we, and, it, and it motivates us to keep going on. You know, especially you, you graduate college, and, you, and, you're, and you're excited, you accomplish the goal, and, and it motivates you to get out there in the workforce and start using your education for something. There's, there's, you know, it, it keeps us moving on. And we know that celebrating an, an accomplishment is a good thing. You know, we, it, it, it's exciting. But my question is, is how are we supposed to celebrate? How are we supposed to celebrate? Because we know that some celebrations are not necessarily good, right? Because, you know, we have celebrations. There's uh, Mardi Gras down in New Orleans. Uh, there's certain aspects of Mardi Gras that us as Christians, we probably should not participate. There's things about it that, you know, we know that some celebrations are not necessarily good. So how are we supposed to Uh, celebrate how are we supposed to behave how are we supposed to do this thing called celebration as christians we know the fact that you know uh, that some are not uh, appropriate but how should we uh, celebrate an accomplishment like nehemiah here they're celebrating something and how are we supposed to do and we can learn a lot from this you know we should celebrate accomplishment in the same way that these guys did and the way they celebrate is a great example of celebrating an accomplishment you know, the city of Berlin in Germany, they had a, a wall for many years that divided the, country, or the city, right? There was the east and the west. And, and I remember growing up in, in the Cold War and I remember seeing the Berlin Wall. I remember when it fell. And, and it, was, it was famous because of the separation. It was division. You know, the oppressed and the free. But now Jerusalem has the wall built. And what is it doing? It's unifying the people. It's not about division. It's about unifying these people. And there's something exciting about it. And they're, they're excited about what has gone on and, and the, 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 the fact that God is here working in this community. You know, the Berlin game fame because of the divided. The wall, uh, city of Jerusalem became famous because of its walls. In Nehemiah's time, the wall united the people. The latter part of chapter 12 that we'll be using as a focal point in this passage this morning, tells the story of the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem. It describes this wonderful event that was postponed until the people came. See, there were some people there, but they, they also had more people coming. So they, it was postponed until they gathered more people back into Jerusalem, and they, then they threw this party. They, they got their party on. They, they threw this huge celebration. Over the past 10 weeks we've been looking at Nehemiah and we, and we see how God worked in their, in their lives and how God worked through Nehemiah to restore Jerusalem and restore His people by rebuilding this wall and rebuilding His people. You know, in today's portion we're going to see that the wall is built, the gates are hung, the, the city is defended and filled with people, and there's an air of excitement going on there's there's a great joy that's that's coming out not not just for the people involved but all ages everybody in the city is excited because of what was going on there's a great celebration taking place and i think we can learn a great deal about god and about his desires for our joy and our uh, our happiness and I know I've heard a lot of sermons talk about God doesn't necessarily care about our happiness happiness and uh comes from the word hap or happenstance and it's about situations I've heard all these different things but you know what God regardless of what words we use God wants joy in your life he wants you to have joy he really does And we can learn a lot from this, this celebration that's going on. We can learn a lot about ourselves and about God and what his desires for you through this section of the chapter. See, celebration of and celebration before God should be something that we should plan out and should be carried out in our lives. Most of the time when we get together to celebrate something, we kind of just get together and we, you know, there might be some planning like food or some decorations, but really don't there's not much planning outside of that. We just kind of let it go. You know, we, you, you get the grill going, you throw some decorations out, and people come, and you're just kind of winging after that. But according to Scripture, we should we should plan things out. We don't give the celebration that much thought or planning, and we don't stop to consider the book of Colossians in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 23 and 24 says this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since that or since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as reward. It is the Lord Jesus Christ that you are serving. So if, if that's true, if we're, everything we do is supposed to be, uh, act like we're serving the Lord himself, then even in a celebration, even if we're going to throw a celebration of an accomplishment that God has done, then we should consider planning it out. And we should consider doing it to our best of our abilities. We, we need to give God our best efforts. The workers of Nehemiah had reason to celebrate, and they had the reason to do so with great joy. They were excited, and they had a reason to be. God had provided strength, and which has helped them complete the wall. They had afforded them protection against the opposition. Remember the people in all four corners, uh, north, south, east, and west? There's groups in all four sides that wanted to do something and they tried threatening they tried to uh try to discourage them they had all this opposition god gave them strength and protection to get through that god brought them back to their ancestral city and restored everything they restored the the city and and re-inhabited it and it hasn't been inhabited for over 160 years so god brought people back and restored it that's a huge thing and most importantly god has provided means by which a great a spiritual awakening awakening took place. And it happened for the people of Israel. There was a great spiritual awakening, which we talked about the past couple of weeks, in the city, and they were ecstatic. They were witnessing God, they were experiencing God, and they knew God was there. And they had reason to celebrate. From the last chapter, or from this chapter that we're going to look at, and, and the later, smaller, or the, the, from around chapter verse 27 on down to the end of the chapter we're going to be looking at three truths three things that we can use and look at to help us understand how to celebrate when we celebrate here and i think we need to plan i haven't planned anything for the church but we uh yet but we will and i think we need to plan celebrations i think we need to plan when our dolly Ann ministry um when we see the successes We need to plan that and celebrate and give God the glory on those successes. And when we see God working in our community, when we when we get a baptism, we need to be cheering with an excitement because of what God is doing. So I think we need to plan these things. I haven't yet, but we will plan some celebrations. But there's three things we can learn about the celebration that we can learn from Nehemiah. And the first one is to set aside time, plan your celebration. In chapter 12, verse 27, it says, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sent for the Levites wherever they lived and brought them to Jerusalem to celebrate the joyous dedication with thanksgiving and singing accompanied by cymbals, harps, and lyres. Almost said lures. That's a fishing mind. They planned it. Plan your celebration. Set a time for it and plan your celebration. See, setting a time for us is kind of a hard accomplishment. I mean, that's, it seems simple, right? Planning a celebration. But, but how many of you have their calendars filled packed? I know I do. I'm looking at months ahead, not, not just, you know, next week or what am I doing tomorrow. And I know a lot of you are like that. You have your calendars full, especially if you work for the school district. I know you guys have a, a huge calendar. See, setting aside time is probably the hardest thing we do in our society today. You know, if you're like me and like most of America, we work, we plan, and we complete the task every day. And then we, and as well as those things that we feel God is calling us. So you work your, your day jobs or your, your volunteer jobs, and, and you're doing these things, and, you're, and you, you do tasks around the house, and then you accomplish that, and you move on to the next one, and you're trying to help out at church, and you're trying to you know you're trying to fulfill God's call in your life to serve somewhere and then we move on to the next one and the next job and we move on and on and on and we never stop to celebrate we never stop to praise God for what he's doing most of the time to even celebrate what we've accomplished the Levites that we read about in the first portion of the scripture were busy people they were the teachers and musicians of the time, and they were busy, busy people. And, and for them to just simply slow down is going to be hard to do. And, and they could probably relate to us in that sense where we're just, they're just so busy to stop and celebrate. They probably were too busy to do that. How much time do you think it takes me or an average pastor to prepare a sermon? How many hours in a week? Take a guess. Throw throw out a number. How many How many hours? Two hours. Somebody guess. No guesses. Eight hours. Okay, I got an eight. Anybody else? Six. You know, thirty-six. That's actually probably closer. Yeah. You know, is you know when when we sit down as as preachers and teachers, we know you know uh, as preachers at least we we sit down and and I would love it if God just gave me a verse and I was just like, oh that's great, and just type it out and it just took me a few hours and and I'm done. You know, most of that is just you know, uh, uh, grammar errors and corrections. I wish that would be so awesome to be able to do that, but you know, statistics show that the growing churches, churches that are have growing and, and spiritual growth and, and numbers and are thriving and they're impacting lives and other people. The average is they spend one hour of preparation for every minute of preaching time. I average around forty minutes. Takes me about and, and for me about thirty minute, thirty hours to write a sermon from scratch. Thirty hours the 40 hours to write a sermon. That's doing it from scratch, studying the scripture well enough to know what to preach. That's what these Levites were. They were the teachers and preachers of the time. And they, they didn't have computers. See, I got a Bible software that has 4,000 books on it. And I can type in a, uh, something about celebration and I have probably 30 books that will come up and it will tell me where celebration, that word celebration is in every single one. That's awesome. That's easy. That makes my life so much better. But these guys didn't have that. They had scrolls and they had to study and study and study. And they didn't have computer databases. These guys were busy people. And that's what these the Levites were doing. They were studying the scriptures, and and I know I I just imagine. I mean, the scripture doesn't tell us this, but I just imagine that Nehemiah comes along and says, "You know, we're going to do a celebration. We're going to celebrate." And I bet you some Levites said, "You know what? I have no time for this. What are you thinking? I don't have time for this. I don't have time to celebrate. I don't have time to to take time out from this. I got to spend the next thirty hours preparing my sermon." I got I got things to do. You know, after all, it's God's work. That should take priority. That's God's work I'm doing. I'm preaching and teaching and and playing, you know, Sunday morning worship or back then Saturday worship. And I don't have time for this. It's God's work. That's that's more important than celebrating something. You know, they said, probably said Nehemiah, there's there's a lot of good stuff happening here. We got, you know, this basically this revival going on and the wall is up and we got things to do and there's a lot of stuff to do as well and, and I don't have time to sit there and you know with the silly dancing and, and party. I, I don't have time for this and, and you know if you know anything about Jewish history they loved the party. They loved the, their parties were huge. You know they, you read through their festivals and their, and their different things you know their, the tabernacle of feasts and all these different things. They, they would just they would hit huge parties. And they didn't you know they were probably like oh that's kid stuff. You know what I, I I don't have time for any of that. You know, I, I can imagine them actually saying something like that. And I'm sure that Nehemiah probably team if they did say that, I'm sure he was, you know, turn around, right around at that Levi and told them that, you know what, we've finished the job. We have done it. God has blessed us and has restored Jerusalem and restored the wall. We have not completed the job. Until we give thanks to God. We have not completed the job until we give God the glory. So if we're gonna follow what Nehemiah's plan here, and we're gonna follow what he did, and we look at this first few verses here, uh, you know, how are we gonna do that? How are we gonna follow his footsteps? And the first thing we do is we gather a team. You notice that in the very beginning, it's Levites were sought out and brought to the wall. They didn't just, you know, recruit the people that were around there. They sought out people and said, you Levites, you know, we're, we're going to bring them in by the busload. And we're just going to bring them in here and we're going to set them up and, 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 and they're going to be doing specific tasks. So they gathered the team. And the Bible tells us that they celebrated with gladness and thanksgiving. And they sang and prayed, uh, played their stringed instruments. They celebrated. And they gathered those people. And the second thing is that they, they planned the job. See, I found something interesting as I was reading this and I was studying this a little bit. We found that Nehemiah sent the singers and musicians to the left. Your left. On top of the wall, and he sent the remainder to the right. Now, why do you think he did this? He wanted everyone, everywhere, to hear. So either the people knew what was going on, and they knew that it was a celebration for God, and they were excited and, and everybody can hear, or maybe they didn't know, they're wondering what is that because they're up by the wall so you have all these people that are outside the wall we're probably hearing what was going on the bible goes on to tell us that two groups eventually circled the entire project singing and dancing and celebrating the work and most importantly they're praising the one who blessed them they're praising god so Nehemiah planned what was going to occur and how it was going to happen, recruited those and help, who helped, and then the last thing he did was he made sure that the job was completed. He completed the work. They had something to celebrate. You know, we've been talking fairly in depth over the past 10 weeks with, about Nehemiah and this monu- monumental task that he did, this huge undertaking. Remember back in verse 1, and he, for four months, he, Uh, mourned and fasted and prayed i mean this was a he went and asked the impossible and only way he succeeded was from god and we learned over the past few weeks that he had opposition and challenges and but he had determination of nehemiah and his workers they wouldn't quit he kept moving forward and of course this all leads up to celebrating that accomplishment of what was going on the celebrating the accomplishment that happened now as we get, rid- get ready to celebrate the Lord and celebrate this accomplishment, we move on to the next part of the chapter. And we see that we need to take time to get clean. Now I'm not talking about getting clean like, you know, I'm going to go take a shower, put my suit on, and we're gonna, you know, I'm going out on the town. It's not that kind of get clean. Look at verses or 30 and 31. It says, After the priests and Levites were purify- had purified themselves, they purified the people, the gates and the wall. Then I, thought, then I brought the leaders of Judah up to the wall, up on top of the wall, and I appointed two large procession, processions that gave thanks. One went to the right on the wall toward the dung gate. Before anything happened, before the singer sang the first note, before the instrumentalist, the, the musician plucked the string, before anybody shouted amen or or anything they cleansed themselves so one of the first things they did is they cleansed themselves it's interesting to look in the order that they cleansed themselves it's interesting how they went with this and the the and levites first cleansed themselves they they knew that in order for to anything great for god or to do anything great for god we needed to celebrate or, or truly celebrate before his throne they needed to be clean and what this is called is a sin offering and what they would do is they would take this, they would take an animal and they would sacrifice it and they would do a ceremonial washing. And, and, and then they would, have a, uh, they would take the blood of the animal and have another a ceremony with it. And they prayed and beseeched God through the confession of what they have done. So basically they're going to the altar, they're doing this sin offering and saying, forgive us for sins. And they would confess their sins. And they would sacrifice the animal as payment for their sin. We cannot come before God, the throne of God, and truly celebrate until we get rid of our sin. We have to get rid of our sin. We have to get rid of the filth that we have in our lives, and every single one of us has it somewhere in our lives. Next, they purified the people. So they purified themselves, and then they went to purify the people. They purified the people around them, and finally they uh, purified the gates, the walls, and purified the project Or today, we would call the the ministry that they're attempting. We need to cleanse in the same order. After that, all we have is... After that, we all have a strong tendency to seek out a speck in other people's eyes. So many times, when we we want to bless the project, but yet we don't take a second to look and make sure that we're clean and we're repentant first. If we want to see. uh, God to work here we need to come to the throne first and repent our sins so he could bless the project See, we do this feeble attempt to help others cleanse themselves we, we we have this tendency to look at the speck in other people's eyes and say look you know you need to fix these things and we look at their sin while ignoring the plank in our own eye and we see that in Matthew chapter seven and we make this feeble attempt to cleanse others And we do so thinking it's the right thing to do. We think we're just helping. We think it's the right thing to do. And maybe, just maybe, we might turn the magnifying glass on ourselves. Now I'm afraid in today's society, in today's church, in this church, in my life, in your life, we're all guilty of trying to cleanse the outside while the inside is still filled with sin. We all do that. We all have that tendency. We first, the first task Our first responsibility, our first duty before God is to cleanse ourselves. We must confess and admit that those things specifically that we do wrong, we must admit the things that we have sinned against God. We must cleanse ourselves. See, we don't have the rituals that the Old Testament has. Because when Jesus died, he was the ultimate sacrifice. He was the blood offering. He was the sin offering for all of humanity. So we don't have that. We don't need to go to uh, spill blood of a pigeon or, or an animal to do this. What we do, and different now that we're in the age of grace, when, we're, when we have Jesus in our lives, we go to him, to the altar, and we say, God, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Here's what I've sinned against you. I've dishonored you. I repent, and I want to turn away from that. And we need to do that on a regular basis. Every time we sin, we need to apologize. When we look at uh, somebody in lustful eyes, we need to repent immediately. When we do something, we sell a little white lie, we need to repent immediately. We need to turn away from those sins. We need to get clean before anything will happen, before God will start blessing the ministries. Chuck Swindoll wrote, Holiness precedes happiness. Holiness precedes happiness. You want to celebrate? You want joy in your life? You have to confess. There's a certain freedom that comes From that confession of your sin i think he hit it right on the head i think he hit it said it perfectly we can put on a happy face and come to church and but true joy true happiness only comes after we're clean when we are spotless clean free of guilt see sin it always brings about guilt Sin always brings about guilt. The more we are in the presence of God, the more we read His Bible, the more we pray, the more we're around faithful Bible-believing people that love the Lord, the more we're going to become aware of our actions, the more we're going to become aware of the things that we've done. And the more you know that stuff, then the, and the more you become aware of your actions, the more guilt you'll feel. You're aware of your sins on a much greater and deeper scale. And every time that you become aware of your sins, the more guilt you feel. And sometimes we feel so guilty and so dirty, we think, man, you know, is God ever going to forgive me? And sometimes we hold on to things from years ago. And we think, I can't do ministry because of this that I've done so many years ago. So many a sin that you did ten years ago, twenty years ago, thirty years ago, and we hold on to this. Even though God you've asked God to forgive you, you don't let it go, and you and you, and and you you just hold on to it and you feel guilt. And some of you think that and you hold on to this guilt that you've done. But you know what? Look at Isaiah chapter one, verse eighteen through twenty. It'll be up on your screen. It says, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How can you claim and receive this promise from God? Simply by asking forgiveness. That's a great thing. We have a God that will forgives our sin every single time. Every single time. There's nothing we can do that God won't forgive, except for reject Him. That's the only thing we can do. If we reject Him, there's nothing He can do. But outside of that, there's nothing, there's no sin in your life that He won't come and forgive you for. We're gonna watch a video about a guy who, you know, uh, and I've said this before, he, this guy has gone through some pretty bad things. He's done some not, not too good things. And I could understand how he would feel so guilty and how that his, he probably felt that his guilt uh, for what he's done kept him away from church. But you know what, God forgave him. Watch this video.
1: So I grew up in i I'd say middle class home. We went to church on Sundays. Most of the time it wasn't because I was looking for God, it was because I was looking for friends. Well I went to college, that's when I was introduced to drugs. Cocaine became very popular for me just the whole bar atmosphere I, I chose to dive right into. You know, I graduated, found a job that I really started succeeding at. I was actually promoted at that job to take on different levels of responsibility around the nation. And one of my first deployments was back in my college hometown. I'd been there for about a month, month and a half. And, uh, I ran into a, a really good friend of mine from college. We decided that we were going to a Jimmy Buffett concert. You know, we left and we were drinking and we were, uh, just having fun in the car. It was a college road trip, as you will, uh, except we never really made it to the destination. When we hit the tree, my friend went through the windshield and the young lady that was with us was thrown about 20, 35 yards. She's maimed to this day. Uh, My friend obviously died. I broke 27 bones, including four, five, and six in my vertebrae. You know, I'll never forget the day that my parents had to come in and, and rehab and uh, they had the conversation that um, that it was very possible that I was going to jail for 40 years for intoxicated manslaughter and intoxicated assault. When I left the hospital, I chose to go home with my parents and I remember the guilt hitting me like a Mack truck. I can't describe to you how far away from God I felt. Instead of turning to Jesus, I, I, I turned to more drugs turned to more alcohol. I was on a mission to hurt myself even more. There was a girl that I was dating at this restaurant, and she came to me one day, and and I'll never forget, and she said, "Uh, I'm pregnant. I remember a prayer of God, if you really don't like me this much, why are you hurting her? I remember thinking I was this guinea pig That he was just going to abuse me. And that for some reason I would drawn the short straw because of the bad things I'd done in my life. I was so sure that he was so mad at me. I was so sure that I had nothing to offer. I was so sure that I had crossed the line and that I couldn't go back. It was about three months after that we decided to get married. Much to everybody's Chagrin. And during this time, God had started sending Christian men into my life, and they took interest in me. And then they would help me, and they would, they would guide me in the right direction. I uh, ended up going to trial, and the judge stopped everything. He looked me square in the eye, and he said, you know, Mr. Germer, I, I see a lot of these cases a year. He said, but there's something sort of different here. Can you tell me, are you in a program? Or are, you, are you doing anything? What seems to be helping you? And I remember sitting there for a second and dropping my head. And before I knew it, I looked up and I said, Jesus Christ. You know, in a lot of ways, that was the first time I think I ever felt peace. In a lot of ways, I think that was the only time I ever felt that things were gonna be okay. I was left with restitution. I was left with probation. I was left with some jail time and um, I had to go AA twice a week. Even though I was starting to experience freedom in my walk, it was probably the hardest one because I was dealing with all the emotions that I had always shoved down through my drug addiction. I, I was walking through all those emotions and whatever I'd done to other people's lives, I was like this tornado that just ripped through everything and got to the other side and when, when I got sober and thought everything was okay. I'd been in AA for about a year. When my pastor called me in, asked me to... Uh, Take, take over for Celebrate Recovery was at our church. And I remember looking at him saying, are you kidding me? I, I, I'm barely functioning as it is and you want me to lead something? And I remember that night going home and praying with my wife, as excited as we were, I remember, I remember my prayer of, God, you can't use me. How could, you, how could you believe in me enough to do this? Don't you know what I've done? I can barely run my own life. Much, much very much run a, a ministry for you. There's no possible way. Over the next four years, the, the Celebrate Recovery that I had been asked to be the ministry leader of grew from 40 people to 150. And there were stories of freedom all around, but it was one step at a time. It was one Friday night at a time. It was one meeting at a time as, as God started showing me that he could use somebody that was broken. What
0: a great story. You know, I think so many, so many times where we, we, we lack the faith that God can really change people. I think we do. I think we, I think we have this tendency to, to not believe sometimes. And we, we meet somebody, maybe at a jail, or we hear about somebody, a, a family member who's struggling with drugs, and, and we think, oh, you know, they'll never come around. They'll, they'll never, they'll, you know, what are we going to do? We can't do nothing. They'll never they never change. But testimonies like this, this is one of the reasons why I put this up so much, is videos like this, and it's a constant reminder of the power of God and when we humble ourselves and that God can forgive anything. And he loves us so much and he wants to forgive. But we have to go before the throne and we have to repent. We have to take that step of humility. You know, one of the things, one, one of the things about this, and we're going to be looking at this at the next sermon series is brokenness and how God uses the people like him that are broken that are willing to do you know they're just they're just broken they're like you know what Lord I don't think how how can I Lee celebrate recovery how can I do these things it's about humility it's about coming before God and repenting you see the guilt in that guy's eyes I mean he was he was honest he, he did not think uh, he he thought that he could, he went too far, and that there was no turning back. But God took him, and put Christian men in his life, and shared the gospel with him, and encouraged them. And look what, how his life transformed by the power of the gospel. Unconfessed sin can eat away at a joy that God has given us, and when we and it, and it can rob us of what God really wants in our lives. You know, it's like a tree that's blown over in a in a, a storm. <clears throat> and you know, you go out and you walk out to the field and you see this tree. And the tree you saw before, you know, before the storm, looked nice, it was beautiful, looked strong. But then you go through after the storm, it's knocked over and you see the core is eaten out by bugs and termites. That's why it blew over so easily. You know, friends, unconfessed sin is like those little bugs, and we're the tree. If we don't bow down before God and confess and say we know we've done wrong, please forgive me, then we, when we, then we will bow during the hard times and the pressures. We need God, and we need to confess that. God will instantly forgive your sin. If you simply ask. And if you desire to celebrate the way he intends, the way we're talking about today, a celebration and really have that joy and really be able to embrace life and have joy in your life every day, then we have to get clean before him. We have to confess that sin. That's how we get free. That's how we can really enjoy life. Now the third and the final point today is to set aside inhibitions. Inhibitions and get joyful don't be shy set aside inhibitions and get joyful nehemiah chapter 12 verse 43 we read on the on that day they offered a great sacrifices and rejoiced because god had given them great joy see god has given them great joy the women and children also celebrated in jerusalem rejoiced a rejoicing was heard far away God gave them joy. They cleansed themselves, and they went before the Lord, and God gave them joy. Have you ever been to a a football game, and as you're walking up to a big stadium, especially a a big, you know, a Virginia Tech, or or what's the other team, VCU? What is it? Who? Never heard of them. You, you you go up to the stadium and you, and you hear the the you know the the band playing right, and, and you and you hear the you know the I don't know well, the fight songs or you know somebody was talking about going to Notre Dame or something and watching the game that would be a cool experience because the band is phenomenal there and you go up and you hear this 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 roar of this band, you know and and, 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 and you as you get closer. You hear the, you know, the boos or, the, or the, you know, the, the shouts, depending on which team is the home team and, and who's winning. And, and uh, I'm sure that Tennessee game, there was probably some, some you know, a lot of cheering and stuff going on. But see, that's not what was going on here in Nehemiah's day. For we read the sounds, these were sounds of rejoicing that were heard far off. The sounds of rejoicing that was heard at a distance, far off. Note that it wasn't the choir's that were heard far off. It wasn't the bands and it wasn't the instruments that were heard. It was the great sound of rejoicing. It was the great sound of rejoicing that was heard far off. Everyone was having a wonderful time celebrating, celebrating the completion of the wall. And more than a celebration of the wall, more than anything else, they're celebrating the one who completed it. God. They're celebrating the Lord. They're celebrating God who restored Israel. There, and, and, and he was a powerful, he is a powerful God and a personal God and they were celebrating, giving praise up to him. It was more than just a football game. It was more than a hockey game or a baseball game. This was rejoicing in what the Lord has done. The Bible makes, uh, tells us that there, there were two choirs and there were stringed instruments and other music making uh, pieces. And they were dancing around shouting and singing joy is how i would classify this joyful celebration joyful celebration now every time we come to church on sunday morning this should be a joyful celebration this should be joy this should be exciting you know jan and i joke around about you know we get fired up here and and if somebody came out i would love to see somebody come out in the the aisles singing and raising their hands or something that'd be awesome but this should be a, you know, and I know everybody celebrates and worships in their own style. I, I get that. You know, and we do. You know, some of us are, you know, the, we put our hands in our pockets and we kind of sing. We enjoy. Then you have the, you know, uh, they're, they're like conservative. They're not quite, you know, they won't do this, but they'll kind of like, you know, put their hands up a little bit. And, and then you got the ones that are, I don't care who's watching. They're like throwing their hands up and they're singing. And we, we all have different styles. But when we come on church on Sunday, we should be excited. This should be a celebration, and we plan it that way. That's why we have upbeat music. We, we, and, 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 and we want an excitement here. It's a joyful celebration. Why can't we be like that today? You know, society views a Christian experience as dull and, and uninviting. They really do. I read other blogs. I read other stories of what, how people view. And it makes me mad, so I don't do it all the time because it really fires me up. But I look at uh, the Huffington Post and, and some of these other places that really don't like Christians. And, and the way they view us is dull and boring. And, that, and the other day I saw a lady at Walmart. This was a couple of nights ago. And, and, I'm, and I'm not judging her, I want to be perfectly clear, she probably, maybe she was having a bad day or something, but she was just, you know, it was her and I think her daughter or something were going through, and our carts were full, and they just had this frown on her face, and she just wasn't happy, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm just kind of in my own world smiling, and, and I, I stop and, you know, let her go by, and she's just, ah, going by. And the daughter, you know, was, uh, she let me, you know, move my cart out of the way, and And she kind of had, not really a frown, but she wasn't really happy. There was no joy. So then as I'm doing shopping and stuff, and we're down, and I I, I kept running across these two ladies. And then down toward the end, I see her again. I noticed that she had a Christian T-shirt on. And and it was the name of a church here in Covington. I'm not going to name the name. But there was a church uh, here in Covington. and, And like I said, I'm not judging her. She might have had a bad day. She might have just been so tired, and I'm done with shopping. I know how I get sometimes in, at Walmart, you know, but, but I, was, I just kind of th- kept thinking about this message, thinking, you know, here she is. She's got the Savior in her life. She's part of a good church. She's, she has the, the uh, God of the universe in her life. She hears the Bible every day, and yet she's not happy. And, I, and I, like I said, this is just a, a one-time moment with her. She might be a very joyful person, but... I just got me thinking, you know, how many Christians are out there that are just unhappy in general. You know, they wear the T-shirt, but they don't have joy in their lives. They don't have that fulfillment. You know, is, a wonder, is there any wonder why if, if people invite other people to church, they don't come? When they, when they, you know, on the non-believer's mind, they're asking, if this is what the Christian life is about... You know, you have a frown on your face. You're not, kinda, you're not really that happy. You don't have joy in your life. Why would I want that? Why would I want that kind of life? Why would I join you? You know, it reminds me of the story about uh, Zig Ziglar. I love listening to Zig Ziglar. If you know who he is, he's a motivational speaker. He uh, passed away a couple years ago. Um, he did sales training, all this stuff. And, and I just loved listening to him. I finally got to see him live one time before he passed away. Uh, been a huge fan. He is a believer, uh, so he's up there giving Jesus some motivational preaching or something. But he, you know, he was an awesome guy. And one thing he said is, that, you know, he and he talks about um, this stuff. He talks about this story about how he would go through. Uh, he went over to this this uh, cafeteria. You know how cafeteria is like like hometown buffets and all these and, and golden crowd, real popular in the south here. But he's in Texas and he and he goes through this this lubies um, and and he tries to you know be positive and, and encouraging to the people in the line. And, and so there's some story there. And and uh, and he's like, whoa, you know, they're they're negative, so. So he goes and sits down, and he meets this other lady who's filling up his tea. And, and she, uh, so he asks her, how's your day? And she's just positive. The ladies behind the line, they weren't so much. But she was just upbeat and positive. And she goes, boy, if, if, the, deck, you know, if the day was got any better, I would think the deck was stacked. I mean, this is, just, this is a beautiful day. So Zig Ziglar tells the story. He says, well, why don't you go tell the other lady? She goes, oh, no. Oh, oh, no. If I go, tell them, go hang out with those ladies, I'll become just like them. You know, when we, if we don't have joy in our lives, why would anybody want to come to church? Why would anybody want to hear the gospel from us if we don't have that joy that we're preaching about? We can't say, you know, have a frown on our face all the time and say, oh, I love Jesus, church is great, and you're negative all the time. It's not going to work. You've got you to gotta repent, you've got to Celebrate what God is doing in your life. You know, the non-believer says, that's unexciting, you got too much rules, they don't want to come. You can't give away what you don't have. You can't give away what you don't have. If you don't have the joy of the Lord in your life, you cannot give that away. All you'll give away is the negative view. Friends, living for and with Jesus Christ is a joyful experience. It is a joyful experience that we should embrace. I mean, do you really think that God sent His Son to die on the cross so we can have a dull, painful, boring, unexpected life? Do you really think that? Or did He send His Son on the cross to pay for our sins, to free us, to set us free, to give us joy He desires for you and me to live our lives to the fullest. And when we we do it, it is truly a grand experience. When we live out our life for Jesus Christ, sold out, 100%, all about Jesus. When people call me a Bible thumper, I say, thank you. I am sold out to Jesus. And when we do that, it is such a wonderful, wonderful experience. John 10.10 says, a thief comes, and this is Jesus talking. A thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I, Jesus, have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. This is coming from Jesus' mouth, an abundant life. He wants you to have an abundant life. Plan a celebration, get clean, and then Get joyful. Set aside those inhibitions. Why don't we live an abundant life in and with Jesus? Why don't we live as God desires for us? I think it's because we're only committed to those things that we truly care about. (coughs) We're only truly excited about those things that we invest our lives in and are those things that really mean something to us. And we truly invest our lives in the things of God there is an excitement that you cannot comprehend. There is an excitement that will overwhelm you. You have a joy that will be overflowing. And your, your mind will just go on fire for God. And you will want to give him honor and praise. And you won't be afraid to lift up your hands and praise. You won't be afraid to sing and worship time. You won't be afraid to share the gospel because it will be all about Jesus. And he'll give you that peace that you need. He'll give you that peace to give you strength. And confidence to share that gospel, invite people to church, to, to not worry about everyday life, because you'll be focusing on God. How can you tell when and if we're truly invested in the things of God? So this is the final question: What? How can you tell if you're truly invested on the things of God? Take a look at these questions: What do you do? What do I truly treasure? Ask that to yourself: What do I truly treasure? Is it my things? What is it? What do I do that makes my heart beat faster? What do I do that gets me excited? My blood pressure raised. My, my heart beating. I'll tell you mine. I'll share mine. Right there. Baptismal. I still cry when I see a baptism. I still do. I, I feel like a weirdy sometimes. But I I do. And, and you'll see it when we get a baptism. You'll see me, you know, kind of hiding in the corner. What gets your heart rate going? What gets you fired up? What gets you excited? What event would I sacrifice everything just to be there? Is it a Tennessee game or Virginia Tech game? Would you sacrifice everything for that? Or would you sacrifice everything to be at church or be or sacrifice everything to go on a mission trip or sacrifice everything to go share the gospel or sacrifice everything to teach and preach the word of God? What would you sacrifice for? What, number four, what gives, what is what is it that grabs my loyalty in uncontrollable ways? What am I loyal to? What am I loyal to? Is it Jesus Christ, or is it something else? D.L. Moody wrote this. I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition and the world, there is no room For the Spirit of God, we must be emptied to be filled. We must be emptied to be filled. We must set aside our pride, ego, selfishness, our our desires, and live full-on radical for Jesus Christ. And we need to celebrate when we see him work. Joy is the product of a loving relationship with jesus christ let's pray father god thank you so much for the celebration and and as we conclude our study of nehemiah father God, it was it's such a great a journey as we went through we see nehemiah deal with these things and we and we learned so much out of this book i look forward to the day we get to go through it again because there's such it's such rich stories in there and examples of 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 spiritual awakening and spiritual restoration and and renewal. And now we're at the end, Lord, and we thank you so much for showing us the joy that they had at the celebration of this this task, celebration of this accomplishment. (coughs) Father God, thank you so much for giving us a life, an abundant life, not a life of dull, boring, sad life, but a life filled with joy and excitement The Christian life is an exciting life, Lord. And Father God, I just ask you today to touch each and every one of our hearts to give us that joy that you're talking about here. Give us that joy that we we long for. Help us have the courage to to step up and make you a priority in our lives and every aspect of our lives. And and strip away the, 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 the junk out of our lives so we can focus on you and help us Have the courage to repent. Make aware of our sins. Sometimes we sin and we don't even know that we're sinning, Lord, so I ask you to make us aware of our sin so we can bring that to you and repent of it and turn away so we can become godly folks, godly people that want to serve you with all our heart, mind, and soul. And Father God, we ask you to have the Holy Spirit here right now for these things. And Father God, as we do an altar call, we ask you to touch everybody's heart here and let us take this time to just confess our sin to you and have joy in our lives let us celebrate today lord celebrate your love and what you're going to accomplish here and what you're already accomplishing here at covington baptist church and in the lives of the people we love you lord and we praise you so much in jesus name amen